You have now tapped in with the introspective father and son duo. Last name may be strange, but never strange to the game. Adjust the listening devices and keep it locked. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, coming in, yeah. Flex, I just wanna win, yeah. LABB, who we running with, yeah. 2233, I'm on 10 again. Yeah. State your name. Hello, and welcome to another installment of No Strangers to the Game. I'm Ja, and that's Troy. And on this week's episode, we're going to be talking about how to evaluate greatness and how to evaluate different eras and all across sports, not just basketball or football, but plenty of sports. Um, but to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about your week and things you have going on and things coming up? Uh, my week... It's actually pretty productive. I was able to, you know, go in the office, make sure things that need to be done was taken care of, uh, agreements that had to be executed, uh, project schedules that had to be put in place, um, you know, giving out directions on, you know, various tasks from different facilities that we maintain and um, had repairs, had to work with contractors, getting estimates and quotes. So from that standpoint of work, it was pretty productive in that regard. Um, got a chance to, you know, get out of here some things. From a personal standpoint, it was actually pretty productive too. Uh, I'm taking this online class in economic development and finance. And so I was able to get some work done, um, learning some things, which is really helping me to fill in some of the gaps that I have um, in economic development and some of the questions. And just overall with family, you know, busy, but been able to slow down a little bit and uh, just, you know, enjoy each other's company. And so um, Valentine's Day is, you know, tomorrow. So see what that looks like. I got to make sure I, I I do something that I don't get in trouble. But uh, other than that, <sighs> now nah, I, I got some ideas. So, you know, but other than that, all is well. How about you, man? Yeah, for me this week was, yeah, for me this week was pretty simple, um, straightforward. Just practice in class, and which that seems like every week, but at least next week we have a meet, um, and so I'm kind of looking forward to that. Finally, being able to compete, I think that's something I've been looking forward to for over a year now. So I'm excited for that. But besides that, man, it's it's been pretty simple. Um, just getting up every day and doing what I need to do, making my way. <laughs> But to get into today's topic, uh, the Super Bowl happened. Uh, Tom Brady won another Super Bowl, his seventh Super Bowl since 2003. Um, and it obviously, I think everybody, everybody is just dubbing him the GOAT. He was already kind of discussed as the GOAT, and a lot of people have said it. But, I mean, they, they kind of just re-sparked the conversation, and you had – I would say about 90 the stuff 90% of the things I saw even credited social media outlets they just dubbed him the greatest of all time and then I even saw conversations about him being the greatest athlete of all time and I was like okay now we've gone way too far but the reason I'm bringing this up is because I want to know how to evaluate it because obviously people have very differing opinions especially in other sports basketball you know uh, baseball's a little tougher football is obviously pretty disputed not disputed, but it should be, in my opinion. How do we evaluate greatness? And I guess it depends on each sport. But I think a lot of times people just put 
accomplishments in the greatness argument say, well, you did this, 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 and this, you accomplished this, you're great. But is that accurate? For me, greatness, it comes with a criteria. And, and here is my rough criteria, is basically your individual accomplishments. What's your stats, right? Your team accomplishments, if you play in a team sport. Um, what's your impact on the sport itself? You know, what changes that are made to the sport as a result of what you do and what you're uh, accomplishing? What's your impact, not only on the sport, but culture outside of that sport? How many people watch a game now because they're interested in seeing you that may have never tuned in until they heard your name and saw the things that you were doing? Also style points. It's not only that you do these things, but how you do it and your commercial success. Those are the things that the commercial success, not so much, but it does play into having other people tune in that who would normally tune in and watch what you do. Um, style points, going back to that one, because when you think about the Tim Duncans, you think about Kawhi um, Leonard, right? Those guys will probably never go down after their years, you know, 10, 15 years from now, being mentioned in the likenesses of the LeBrons and the Kobe's, uh, the Jordans and people like that because they didn't do it in such a style and a fashion in which those guys played the game. And so I think those are the things to me that kind of shape the argument for greatness. You know, there's obviously more that can be added, but those are the, the criteria that I kind of lend on, uh, or lead on, lean, lean on to make those, uh, you know, assessments. It's funny because you brought up style points and I think in certain sports, it's weird because there's certain sports that I think you lean on style points as more of a measuring stick as versus others. In basketball, I think you have to kind of use the style points in terms of how you got it done because otherwise, Carl Malone is the second greatest scorer ever. And statistically he is, but I think a lot of people who, you know, watch the game and study the game will sit there and say, well, he didn't have to do it in as crafty or a skillful way as other people. And then you get people who say, well, he did it though, right? And it's just numbers, they say numbers never lie. And, and to a degree, I believe that, but I think you have to take those numbers with a grain of salt and also evaluate the player themselves and how they were able to accomplish those things. So the style points thing is something I go back and forth on because then you take football, for instance, and I think I'm, I wouldn't say I lean more heavily on style points, but for me, it does matter how you got it done when we're talking about team accomplishments. So for instance, Tom Brady's seven Super Bowls, in my opinion, don't get me wrong, he obviously did enough to win all of them. He did his part, his, you know, and that makes him great. There's no doubt about that. I just don't think his winning, what he did to win those seven rings makes him greater than other players that I've seen play the game. And he's definitely not the best I've ever seen play the, play the game or the position of quarterback. But that's not to take away from his greatness because at the end of the day, he did what he needed to do to get his team in the position to win. You know, he's the quarterback, which is probably the most influential position on the field in football. And so, you know, for that degree, he takes a lot of the credit. But I think people give him a little more credit than they should, in my opinion. But... The reason, the thing that, the reason I brought up how to evaluate greatness, because then you have, in my opinion anyway, you have two different sides. You have the great players, or you have the people who are known for their greatness. And then I, I think you have guys who are just, they're the best players. In my okay. opinion, Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback I've ever seen. Patrick Mahomes is quickly approaching that. I need to see more consistency and, you know, more over longevity over the few years. But 
Aaron Rodgers is the best quarterback I've ever seen. In terms of greatness, he'll never have the accomplishments of Tom Brady. I just don't think he'll win seven. I don't think he'll probably catch up in Super Bowl MVPs and all of those things. But in my opinion, he's a better quarterback than what I've seen from Tom Brady. And the funny thing is, when I talk to people about this, they agree. I asked, I asked someone, I said, you have one draft pick of all time. You're, you're a terrible franchise. You have one draft pick of all time. Who are you taking? You're taking, what, like, well, you, obviously it's going to be a quarterback, but who are you taking? And they said, well, I'm taking Aaron Rodgers. I'm like, does that not make him the better player than Tom Brady, if that's who you're picking? But see, I even though I think Aaron Rodgers is probably more talented, more gifted as an athlete physically, I would take Tom Brady just based on his accomplishments. If I'm if it's about winning Super Bowls, right, and I had to pick a person to come in, I would pick him. And no. I, I would choose him because you you have they both have played, right? Okay, but here's the caveat for me. Here's the caveat. And this is what I said when I when I phrased it. I said you're a terrible franchise. Mm-hmm. Your O-line is trash. You, you don't have great running backs, no good receivers. Your defense is garbage. You're taking Tom Brady over Aaron Rodgers still. Yeah, and I'm going to tell you why. How many uh, – when he was with the Patriots, how many well-known receivers that he had outside of Randy Moss when he was there, maybe a couple of here and, here and there, big-name receivers that's coming out of college that you say, these guys are going to be superstars. Now, was that that part of the system? Was it part of Tom Brady or a combination of things – that made those guys compete at the level that they competed. You can't imagine Edelman coming in there out of college and you expecting this guy to be prime time. No. You can't expect the other guys. So I, I would say from that standpoint, because of what he's accomplished, I would pick him. If I had that all in the rearview mirrors, I could predict this is what's going to happen. Take that crystal ball and he accomplished what he did and I can see that, I would take it. I would take him. And I don't think he's a better physically gifted quarterback than Aaron Rodgers. But overall, he has accomplished more and he has been able to be successful. But and see, that's what it's about when you're talking about a franchise. But see, once again, we're, you, we talk about a team accomplishment, right? Winning a Super Bowl. Especially, in, it's different than basketball and football. Ba- basketball, uh, one player can affect both sides of the court a lot. They have a lot to do with the game in all aspects. Football... A quarterback is only on the field half the time. The other And half of that, they're probably just handing it off right or left. Now, yes, they can galvanize their guys. They can get them inspired. You can instill confidence in your team, and that goes a long way. I do not doubt that. But I also know that Tom Brady has never made an NFC or AFC championship game without a top 10 defense in the league. And, yes, he has never had great wide receivers, but that's also never been his game to go downfield. Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, uh, Chris Hogan, guys that can go underneath, crossers, different but, things that they can do in the system. But when he had a guy that can go up top, like Randy Moss, and he threw 50 they had a, touchdowns. They had a great season. So Absolutely. he could do it, right? Sure, he did it once. <laughs> but what I'm saying is that he adapted to the situation and what he had, and he made it work. You know, so that's why I always say it's really hard to begin to make these comparisons because you don't know what a person's really being asked to do they may be able to do a whole lot more, like LeBron, right? Shifting into that. There's a lot more LeBron could do. LeBron could average a triple-double every night if he chose to play that way, right? So if we're looking at it statistically, he would probably be even greater from a statistical standpoint. But because the way his teams are being designed or, 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 or organized, there's ways that he feel he could be more successful and still have, I guess, good stats, but be more successful playing a certain style. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. Coaching? 
once again, I give Tom Brady credit for doing the things he needs to do to win. Like that adds all adds to his greatness. And yes, he is a good player. But I, I, can, I don't understand how you can even sit here and tell me that if you have a terrible franchise, you're not taking Aaron Rodgers over Tom Brady. That's crazy to me. But we'll let wait, that wait, go. Wait, let's go. Let's start over, dude. Let's, let's start over. Let's go back because there's a lot of intangibles. Yes. Tom Brady went to a team that last year, and granted, they had a good defense. Sometimes they had great just, defense, and they got had great weapons on offense I, I, and defense. Okay. But again, had he not been there, do you think they'd win the championship? If you, I think there's other places, other quarterbacks you could replace with him and they would win, yes. I think you put Aaron Rodgers on that team with those weapons and that defense, I think they win a championship. You put Mahomes on that team with that defense and those weapons, I think they win a championship. You put Peyton Manning on that team with those defense like and that <laughs> Let me put it to you like this. <laughs> That's possible. But what has happened is that guy went from an organization that was elite, he went to an organization that was on the rise up and coming and he gave them what they needed to be over the top. Now, it's possible that we can say that these other guys would come through and they would be successful. How much, you know, Aaron Rodgers, he probably could. How much of Mahomes is Mahomes? How much of the coaching? How much is the system? And all those things are factors. So I would say because he did it and he did it in a way that this team wasn't a team that anybody was expecting to go to the Super Bowl this year. Yeah. We thought they would be better. And there was opportunities for them to be beat, but for whatever reason, you know, they prevailed. So I think just out of that, I wouldn't say that I would, that, that would be my first choice if I had to choose between those two. Next question, since you have no logic on the first one is, <laughs> Can you come to a conclusion of a GOAT? Me and you have differing opinions on this, but I want yours first. Can you come to a conclusion of the greatest of all time? I don't think you can uh, precisely. I think you can have your opinions and your biases and even statistically you can go through. And if everybody agrees on the same criteria, I think from that standpoint, you can arrive at what we consider a GOAT. But I still think there's a lot of other intangibles that are not considered in that, right? So, yeah. for instance, you have guys who come and they play well. Like, for instance, most NBA Hall of Famers that were successful and had many championships, they had Hall of Fame coaches too, right? Yeah. LeBron didn't have that. What would what would be different about him if he had that? You know what I mean? Would he be better? Would it have made him worse? What, how would that have affected his career? What about the organizations that he goes to? You know, are you in an organization that's going to allow you to grow and to become better and reach your full potential? Or do you just do it in spite of, you know? And so I think, I think there's just a lot of answers or questions that I don't know if you can answer precisely to say with, without a doubt that this is the goal. And me. I, so. and I, to a degree, agree. I do think that there's always going to be room to to make arguments for other things because as we talked about they say numbers never lie but i do think you can interpret numbers differently everybody can look at a set of numbers and pick things they want to focus on and that may make a different argument than what you're trying to argue uh i think it varies sport to sport to a degree i think basketball i don't think we'll ever have a definitive answer unless somebody comes along and completely just you know for whatever reason but even then if they did all that there'd be somebody out there who would find a way to poke okay. a hole in it and find something else. But I think 
And then another sport that I don't think it's tough is boxing because you're talking about hand-to-hand combat one-on-one. And these guys, a lot of these guys never got to fight each other. Rocky Marciano never fought uh, Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali never fought Floyd Mayweather. Tyson never fought Muhammad. You know, so there's so many people that never got to fight each other. They destroyed everybody in their era. But, you know, but that's the difference, though, is I think you can make arguments for greatness because when you're talking about greatness, they say what you do is you compare them to their contemporaries. Mm-hmm. Who were they going against at that time? And how much did they dominate their era? Because when you're talking about an era, everybody has to deal with some of the same things, right? They're in the same time frame, same training to right. a degree, right? They have the same technology, stuff like that. And so if you dominated them like that, then, you know, who's to say you wouldn't do well in other eras? And there's a lot of wiggle room for discussion there, too. But like something like in boxing to me, I think Floyd Mayweather in an era where everybody has technology, everybody knows the new styles of training and all of these things. Everybody has money in boxing. That dude was 51 and 0, 52 and 0. I think that right there is, is that's the greatest greatness. I can't say he's the best, you know what I mean? Especially because in boxing, you got weight classes too. But I think in terms of greatness, I'm going to go with um, Floyd Mayweather in boxing. As the greatest of all time? The greatest. Not necessarily the best boxer, but the greatest to me. 50 and 0, probably you, you talk about commercial success. He got it. I mean, his impact and things. Well, that he, ask, how much has he changed the sport? What has been his overall impact on the sport? I mean, because when you think about his fights, they're boring. A lot of, they're boring. They're boring. Right? So th- those style points, when you saw an Ali fight, you <laughs> saw a flash. When you saw a Tyson fight, you saw a fight. So. Absolutely right. But now statistics. Those dudes got, those dudes got knocked out. Yeah. With yeah. all due respect. Because that guy got fault. And, and see, yeah. but that's the thing. But for me, and it's very simple in, a, in combat sports, right? Combat sports, at least if I'm going to get in a fight, the point is to hit you and you don't hit me. Right. Now, now, if that's you bring the watch, absolutely. But Let me ask you this question. Here's what happened in those guys. They had a three-year layoff in their prime. If they didn't get to fight Ali when he was banned because he didn't want to go to the military, right? Then you had yeah. Tyson when he went to prison. This is in the prime of those guys' years in which they would have gotten better. They would have learned more. They would have been a little more sophisticated. So they came back afterwards and, you know, had to catch up from where they were or where they left off. So that's one of those things where I put that, mm, there's a segment in there of unknowns that yeah. I think would have made a difference. You know, and not to say that, any of these guys wasn't great because they all are, but which one was the greatest? I don't know if I would go with Floyd because like I say, the style points, I mean, who did he really fight that we can think of when you look back over Floyd's career and say, who did Floyd beat? I mean, they were all there. Okay, De La Hoya, who else? And you might laugh at this, but I think Canelo Alvarez is coming up to where he'll he'll be a name we remember. But when he fought him, he wasn't that dude. That's true. That's true. So different times and different era, different times of that person's career. He beat Sugar Shane, but that was on the tail end of his too. Right. And so like you say, that Muhammad Ali got beat on the tail end of his career. Tyson got beat kind of on the tail end. And, you know, so there's a lot of circumstances. And the thing I would say that Floyd probably learned from those guys is know how to to quit (laughs) and being strategic and understanding that, okay, I saw the mistakes that those guys made. I don't want to make the same mistakes. 
And that kind of lends into the next question. How do you compare across eras? And I touched on it a little bit earlier. You compared it to who was around at the time. But there is an interesting argument for the guys who got to see everybody before them and, like you said, learn from their mistakes and learn from their experiences. I want to get specifically into basketball in this because this is always the one that's you, that I think age has a lot to do with who you think is great in basketball. We're talking about basketball. You got a lot. You got really old guys who probably saw Bill Russell win, you know, 11 of his rings or all 11 of his rings and say, you know, hey, that's the best basketball player ever. And I mean, how can you tell them that they didn't watch the best basketball player when he was killing everybody back then? I mean, and he did go against some guys. He had Wilt at that time. Um, did he, he didn't, he didn't go against Kareem at all, huh? Who? Um, Russell? Bill Russell. I don't think their careers overlapped. Uh, Kareem but, came in what, the early 70s? 60, late, late, 69, 69. 69. I don't know. I, I know, know I, well, I know Bill's prime was over. But nonetheless, you have those people that say Bill's, Bill's the GOAT, won 11. And like we said, basketball is a sport where you can affect a lot. So to win 11 rings is pretty impressive. But then you move up some time and you say, you have people who think it's Wilt. You have people who think it's Magic. So it's tough to compare across eras. But I think the reason I brought this up is how do you compare across eras? Because I wanted to ask you how much... I think it's weird because basketball, we've seen rules changes. We've seen the game change a lot. Right. But how much of that factors into comparing players from different eras? I think it really comes down as you're, comes down to as you're growing and you reach that age where you understand the game enough or this person does something that you had never seen before and you just kind of become fixated and that becomes your guy. You know, as long as they're consistent enough over time, you can, there's a bias. I think there's a bias in all of this because of what you see and the time in which you saw it and how it affected you and what you thought about it. And anything comes after that, you're like, well, this guy did it first. You know, somebody else may have did it 10 times more. This guy did it first. That means something to you. I think the, the, the memories, and the impact that it had on you at the time that those things happened really kind of lends to the bias that many people have when you're having this, scope, this, this conversation or debate about the GOAT or the greatest or even comparing to different eras. It's funny you say that because I, I've realized how emotional this argument is for people. I, I know I'm, I'm very attached to LeBron James and I, you know, I have my arguments for him, but I feel like I usually back that up with you know, factual arguments, statistical arguments, things like that. Things that you can see logic in. And you may not agree, but you know what? Hey, you can see the logic in it. But it was funny when Michael Jordan's documentary came out, The Last Dance. It was funny how much people I knew and people who had differing opinions of before started to say, well, after watching this documentary, Michael's the GOAT. And I'm like, they didn't make the case for him being the greatest basketball player ever. They were simply following him around for his final year with the Bulls. And but people they love the you know oh he's this that and the other they love to see his competitive nature they love to get the behind the scenes and because it was so recent and it was so cool and everybody got caught up in how cool the documentary and it was a cool documentary i love the documentary too but that led people to say he was the goat and i was like that, that, that has nothing to do with it in my opinion it was hey. interesting well i look at this and and we always talk about and we're going back to bill russell my favorite basketball player of all time was dr j because in the moment that I saw him in the time of my life, I saw him do things that I had never seen before. And that was always, I'm not saying he was the best, that was my favorite. Yeah. Um, but when you think about Bill Russell, people always say, well, he only had eight teams, right? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the more teams you have, the, the more, more dilu the diluted the talent pool gets. So but to get know, in there, you have to be the best. Now, granted, the NBA had it looked biases. a lot different back then. Yes. Right, right. So, <laughs> you know, that's why I say again, and, that's and what not, makes it difficult. And that, not to mention, you know what's funny, and this is me taking a subtle shot at Mike because I am a proponent of LeBron being the GOAT. But it's funny because Michael played in the expansion team era where they say the league might have been watered down just a tad. I still think there was a ton of talent in the league. Don't get me wrong. But 90s basketball had a few expansion teams that kind of, you know, threw things out of the whack. I mean, you had Orlando Magic until they got Shaq. They, they was putting, pulling guys off the streets trying to put them in, you know, uniforms yeah, to play. Okay. And that's no shade because Mike, I think you can put Mike in any era. He's dominant. He's one of the best basketball yeah. players ever. But I'm just saying, like you said, those are apples to apples. You can make those comparisons. I want to end the day with this, though. I've heard this saying a lot, and recently I've been, like, kind of on the fence about it. And it's comparison is the thief of joy. And for me, it's like I get, I get what that saying means. At the end of the day, if you spend all your time comparing, you won't be able to appreciate what's in front of you, right? Mm -hmm. If I spend, you know, hours – arguing with people LeBron versus MJ and I don't actually watch LeBron and appreciate his greatness while it's here, then, you know, there was no point. Right. But I do think that there is some, there is some in me, to me there, I find joy in comparing greats, comparing people and, and discussing and debating this. And I think a lot of times that saying hits on this new feeling of people have of like, well, we can't argue or we can't debate or we can't discuss things. We just got to agree and that's be that everything needs to be in peace and harmony, but then it leads to the exact opposite. And so what is your take on the saying comparison is the thief of joy, especially as we're talking about, you know, comparing athletes and stuff. Well, for me, I, I don't, I think it's degrees to it. If you become obsessive with the comparison, then yeah. But if I look up and say, you know, where do I sit and stand next to what is considered the best? And I compare and say, you know what? I think I stand just as, you know, near or better or at least comparable with whoever they're controlling the great. And I can leave it at that. But if I become obsessed with it, I think it becomes more difficult for me to enjoy that I to enjoy where I'm at because yeah. I'm always pushing to be better or, you know, above the person that I'm being compared to. So I think it's a it's a it's a fine line, you know, if you take it, you know, above and beyond what is, I guess, reasonable, yeah. in my opinion. Also, I think um, oh man, I just tossed my train of thought. <laughs> Go ahead, it'll come back. Well, what I was going to say is for personally, when we talk about comparison, track and field is a very cut and dry sport. At the end of the day, numbers are numbers. They say numbers never lie. I've said that for the fourth time now, but numbers are numbers. And in track and field, it's so easy to compare because either you have that number or you don't. So for me personally, it, I can see how people say, well, it'd be unhealthy to always be comparing yourself to other people. You'll never appreciate where you are. But I'm like, for me, that's always been the the push, the drive is I look at people around me the same age or what the greats did at my age and stuff like that. And I compare myself and I say, I'm either behind or I'm ahead or this, that, and the other. And it pushes me to keep going, right? I, I feel like I have so much more to do and accomplish because I haven't reached their heights at their age or I'm not at, you know, the top guy at my age or just in the world in general. And so for me, that's pushed me and I, and. And it's weird because I, this is going to sound bad, but I feel like sometimes they say comparison is the thief of joy. Sometimes you need to compare yourself and, and take away a little bit of that joy. You need to look around and say, you know what? I'm not where I need to be. What am I happy about? Not to take away your happiness, but to say you you can't be settling. You, ha you can't be complacent. 
Well, it has to be an, it's an assessment, right? But it has to be a reasonable assessment. You at 10 year old can't compare yourself to, you know, Christian Taylor at 20. Yeah. It's just, I mean, that's unreasonable unless you're just a super freak. <laughs> um, so it's got to be reasonable and it has to be something that is not obsessive, yeah. right? More of an assessment to help you get to where you want to be and make, get to where you're trying to go to and make reasonable uh, decisions or judgments. I think also when you, when you earlier you touched on not being able to debate in this generation, people seem to be uh, unable to have disagreements or debate. I think it comes down to understanding and establishing the rules of engagement, right? So if we're going to debate about something, we have to say, here's the rules and here's how we're going to do this so that we can at least be able to function on the same realm. We'll have different arguments, but we'll be arguing in the same, I guess, with the same criteria. Mm. Example, if we're out and we're on the basketball court and we're going to play a basketball game, but I'm using football rules and using basketball rules, we're going to both walk away pissed off because yeah. I'm going to be hitting you and you're going to be saying, man, we're playing basketball. But no, these are the rules that I'm using and this is how I play the game. And it's never going to, you know, you're going to both walk away disappointed because you're going to be like, this dude was cheating or this dude said something that's crazy or did something that didn't make sense. So I think you have to establish the rules of engagement so that you can minimize some of the, you know, dismissive, dis, dis, called dismissiveness or just the inability to debate and argue uh, about situations. You may still walk away with, you know, with a disagreement, but to be able to have that conversation and walk away and say, okay, maybe I learned something from that or this dude is still crazy, <laughs> but he had a good point here. Um, but the rules of engagement, I think, are critical. And that's the key. And I think that's been the, I, I, once again, I can't say what it was like a long time ago, but I think there was a, at least a little bit more of an emphasis on listening as opposed to being heard. I think we live in an era right now where everybody wants to be heard, but nobody actually wants to listen. You go and you go on Facebook and Twitter and you putting your thoughts out there and you want people to like it and, and hear you and understand you and agree with you. But you don't necessarily want to do that for other people if they don't have the same opinion. And so when you come into a debate, it's the same, much of the same. Where like, I'm shouting at you. I want you to hear me and understand my point. But then when you come back with your point, I don't want to hear none of that. I don't want to try to listen. And so I think that's been, that's, that's kind of been the biggest disconnect, at least from what I can see in my generation, in my era. And something that probably needs to change that I think take away a little bit of the divisiveness that we see. Yeah, I know there's a, and I can't find it. I had this little, it was a little uh, object. It was called a talking stick. Mm -hmm. And it was from the Native American tribes. And the talking stick was to set it down. And essentially it was saying, first seek to understand. Yeah. But while the stick is down and that person's talking, you're not thinking about what you're going to say. Let me understand where this patient is coming from. Let me make sure I'm clear. Let me make sure that, you know, I got some clarity on what he's talking about or she's talking about. Yeah. And then when that person is done and there's clarity and you understand them, then it's, you turn the stick over and then you do the opposite. Now I'm sharing with you, I'm expressing to you my thoughts and ideas. Your job is to try to understand me, not disagree, not analyze me, but understand where I'm coming from. And then from that, with understanding, I think you can begin to 
have those discussions and debates in a way that are more productive opposed to just shouting and getting angry and, and dismissing one another because they don't agree with you. Yeah. So. Well, let's end the episode on that, man. Listen more than you speak, and hopefully that will get some understanding. I think if everybody tries to be more attentive and listening as opposed to just trying to talk, we'll, we'll reach more understandings or at least be able to see the other's perspective, and that's key to bringing us together. And so a lot of the divisiveness we see in this country and in this world right now will hopefully start to subside. But once again, as always, we appreciate you guys for tuning in to another episode of No Strangers to the Game. And we hope you tune in to next week's. All right. Peace. All right. That'll wrap up today's episode. Glad we could take a moment to put you up on game. We post a new podcast every Sunday morning. Now you know. Peace.